On a crisp fall day in 1903, Dr. R.W. Bowling paced the halls of the Southern School of Osteopathy in Franklin, Kentucky. Dr. Bowling was blind, but that didn't stop him from running a medical school. He could dissect any corpse and give detailed lectures on human anatomy without his sight. Dr. Bowling strolled past classrooms accompanied by students who peppered him with questions about laboratory work. But soon, Dr. Bowling put his finger to his lips to silence his students. He'd overheard a lecture from a nearby room. The teacher spoke like a true expert and was diagnosing one of the school's most complicated clinical cases, one even Dr. Bowling had trouble understanding. Bowling knew every teacher at his school, but he didn't recognize the voice at all. He needed to find out who the speaker was and where he got his training. Dr. Bowling stomped into the lecture hall and badgered the presenter with questions. But the man continued his demonstration, ignoring the old doctor entirely. Finally, a man sitting in the audience calmly addressed the speaker, calling him Edgar Casey. He told Edgar to wake up. This was an odd command, since the speaker seemed to already be awake. After all, he was speaking to the class. But then Dr. Bowling heard Edgar groan and sit upright, and the entire lecture hall erupted into applause. Completely bewildered, Dr. Bowling walked to the front of the room and asked this Edgar where he got his medical training. In a quiet voice, Edgar explained he had no degree whatsoever. But he was still an expert, capable of diagnosing and treating any illness, all thanks to a strange technique he used on himself. Hypnosis. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on clairvoyant Edgar Cayce. Although he didn't know a thing about medicine, in the early 1900s, Edgar learned to diagnose patients' illnesses while under hypnosis. Today, we'll explore how Edgar suffered from a debilitating sickness, which he seemingly cured supernaturally. Then, we'll follow him as he expands his abilities, eventually uncovering evidence of past lives and reincarnation. Next time, we'll dissect how a man without a medical license could be so well-versed in human anatomy. Skeptics believed Edgar prepared for his readings using patients' letters and kept his diagnoses intentionally vague. Eventually, he had to take the stand in a criminal trial to prove he wasn't a fraud. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the late 1800s, rural Kentucky was populated by quiet farming towns. Locals spent most of their time planting crops, tending the soil, and preparing for the harvest. But one boy, Edgar Casey, didn't act like the other children. When he wasn't fishing by a local creek, he hung around the church, sweeping the floors and dusting the pews. He was completely devoted to Christianity. He often took the Holy Bible to the woods behind his house, where he could pour through the Gospels in peace. The book comforted him by offering answers to life's biggest questions. But in 1889, he experienced something he couldn't explain. While 13-year-old Edgar leaned against his house reading the Holy Book, a figure appeared before him in a flash of light. At first, he thought it was his mother there to give him his daily chores. But the bright sun behind the woman cast her in silhouette, making it impossible to see her face. And two enormous wings shot out from the figure, big enough to spread a shadow over the young boy. The Bible was filled with stories of holy visions and spirits visiting people on earth. Though Edgar was frightened at first, he knew exactly what was happening— This was an angel. When she spoke, her voice sounded smooth and calming, almost like music. She asked Edgar what he liked most of all in the world. The young boy muttered he wanted to help other people, especially sick children. There was another flash, and in the blink of an eye, she was gone. Stunned by what he'd seen, Edgar sprinted inside. He told his mother what had happened and asked if he'd gone crazy. With a look of affection, she said no. His prayers had merely been answered. That night, his head was filled with thoughts of the angel, and he couldn't sleep. The next day, Edgar was so exhausted, when his teacher asked him to spell the word cabin, he couldn't remember the letters. As punishment, he was forced to stay after school and write the word 500 times. That night, his father was furious with his son for his failure. 
After dinner, he made Edgar sit in the parlor and study even more. He told the boy to learn every single word from the day's lesson. However, as the evening wore on, Edgar couldn't remember how to spell anything. After a sleepless night, detention, and now his father's berating, he was beyond exhausted. Edgar's eyes began to droop, and eventually he fell asleep in his chair with the book under his head. A few minutes later, Edgar's father woke him up. He demanded the answers. All of a sudden, like magic, the boy knew every word. The spellings came to him like he'd known them for years, even the most difficult ones, like synthesis. Sleeping on the book had given him greater knowledge than he'd ever had while awake. His unconscious brain had picked up information he never would have known otherwise. The next few nights, he experimented with his newfound power. He used other books like pillows, absorbing the details inside while he slept. In the morning, he asked his mother to quiz him. Once again, he knew every answer. Edgar started doing so well in school, he was moved up a grade. Word of his success spread around the community. But Edgar didn't let his fame get to his head. In fact, for the next decade, he did his best to lead a normal life in the small town of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. He learned photography and got engaged to the love of his life, a local girl named Gertrude Evans. She was as devoted to the Bible as he was. But in 1900, tragedy struck. 23-year-old Edgar contracted an illness that paralyzed his vocal cords. It was impossible to speak above a whisper. Whenever he tried, his voice only got worse. For a year, he could barely talk. Though doctors visited him, none could find a cure. He wondered if the angel from his youth had punished him for not pursuing a more religious life. He insisted Gertrude should leave him for a man who could take care of her, and his morale was at an all-time low. But his luck would soon change. In 1901, a hypnotist named Hart the Laugh King came to Hopkinsville. Hart was a performer. He delighted crowds by making audience members do absurd tasks like trying to climb non-existent ladders or play hopscotch. But when he heard about Edgar's problem, he couldn't turn down the challenge. He announced he would cure Edgar's ailment to the tune of $200. If he failed, he'd expect no payment. The fee was paid and a date was set. Edgar, his father, and Hart gathered in a local physician's office. Nervous, Edgar sat in a large, comfortable chair and looked up at the hypnotist. Hart picked up a shiny object and held it in front of Edgar's nose. He told the boy to focus on the item. He mustn't blink or look away. Edgar did his best to follow the object as it swung back and forth. Then Hart commanded him to go to sleep. Edgar remained awake, so the hypnotist repeated the suggestion over and over. Eventually, Edgar's eyelids felt heavy. A wave of exhaustion overwhelmed him. Finally, he passed out. When he awoke, everyone in the room stared at him. Hart and Edgar's father looked thrilled. It seemed like Hart had done it. 
But in a raspy whisper, the patient asked what had happened. The men's smiles disappeared. Hart told him that while he was under the influence, Edgar spoke normally. Unfortunately, when he woke up, his hoarseness had returned. Throughout the week, Hart tried again and again to make the changes permanent, but their sessions didn't spur any long-term improvement. They did accomplish something, though. For the second time, Edgar became locally famous. But now it wasn't because of his amazing ability to learn in his sleep. Word of his ailments spread. Within weeks, multiple hypnotists flocked to the small town to try their hand at helping him. Unfortunately, no one could fully cure the 24-year-old, and the trances began to take their toll. Edgar couldn't sleep or eat, and he lost weight. He wasn't sure how much more hypnosis he could take. He was nearly at the breaking point when in March 1901, a psychic named Al C. Lane came to his door. According to biographer Thomas Segrew's book, There Is a River, Edgar told Lane he would allow another hypnosis session under two conditions. First, this would be Edgar's final attempt. And second, Edgar had to be allowed to put himself to sleep and direct his own hypnosis. Earlier, Edgar had discovered, no matter what the other hypnotist did, he had to choose to fall unconscious. Lane agreed and sat down in the Casey living room. Edgar lay on the sofa, took a deep breath, and closed his eyes. A few minutes later, he let out a long sigh, and Lane knew the 24-year-old had dozed off. Lane leaned forward and spoke to Edgar in a soothing tone. He asked the patient to describe the trouble in his throat. In contrast to the previous hypnotists, Lane was the first to ask Edgar this important question. And in a clear voice, the sleeping Edgar explained he couldn't speak because of, quote, a partial paralysis of the inferior muscles of the vocal cords produced by a nerve strain. Edgar's parents were amazed. He never spoke like this when he was awake. It was as if Lane was talking to a full-fledged doctor. Edgar continued. He said the issue could be fixed by simply increasing circulation to the throat. And just like that, the skin on Edgar's neck turned a deep red. Warm blood seemed to seep through his neck. Everyone watched in amazement, and no one dared to speak. When Edgar said the affliction was gone, Lane ordered him to wake up. The 24-year-old's eyes opened. This was the moment of truth. Edgar picked up a handkerchief and coughed up a glob of blood. Quietly but clearly, he said, Hello. A smile spread over his face. The sickness was gone. Edgar started to holler at the top of his lungs. His mother cried tears of joy. His father shook his hand, and Lane just scratched his chin. Without any therapeutic training, Edgar had found a way to diagnose and cure himself, which left Lane wondering, could the young man help others as well? Coming up, Edgar experiments with his newfound abilities. Hi. 
Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the ParCast series Mythology. Every Tuesday, join me on a wondrous journey back in time, exploring the most epic battles, sweeping love stories, and harrowing adventures ever told. Heroes, gods, monsters, mayhem. This podcast has it all. From the Knights of the Round Table and Hori the Hunter to Paradise Lost and the Lost City of Atlantis. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes history's greatest stories, bringing their origins to life and giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe. Ancient myths, modern twists. Catch new episodes of Mythology every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Listen free only on Spotify. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now back to the story. For over a year, Edgar Cayce suffered from a hoarse throat that forced him to speak in a whisper. But in 1901, he put himself under a trance with the assistance of a psychic, Al C. Lane, and cured his ailment. The day after the session, Lane returned to the Cayce household. He was sick with a terrible stomach bug and asked if Edgar could use his powers to help him. Once again... Edgar laid on the sofa and breathed deeply until he was in a deep hypnotic state. Lane sat next to him with a pencil and a pad of paper at the ready. For the next 20 minutes, with his eyes closed, Edgar described Lane's sickness in great detail, from the symptoms to the name of the illness. He didn't sound anything like himself. He spoke quietly, with purpose and self-assurance. Lane's pencil flew across the page. But then Edgar took it a step further. He explained ways to treat the stomach bug. He listed medicines, foods, and specific parts of the body that needed exercise. When Edgar woke up, he asked Lane if he'd said anything of note. Lane waved the pad of paper like it was a golden ticket. When Edgar looked at Lane's notes, he was dumbfounded. The 24-year-old couldn't make heads or tails of the obscure lingo and anatomical terms. He'd never studied physiology, anatomy, or biology. It was as shocking as if he'd spoken in tongues. But Lane was ecstatic. He proposed the two go into business together as partners. Lane would bring in the sick patients, and Edgar would provide the diagnoses. If Edgar named a home remedy or an over-the-counter drug, Lane could procure it. Edgar was hesitant. He had no control over what he said while in a trance. He worried he'd prescribe something that could hurt somebody, or worse. Lane assured him that wouldn't happen. The hypnotist had read many medical books and knew which drugs were dangerous. Ultimately, Edgar couldn't resist the chance to help those in need. He remembered when the angel had visited him in his youth and he'd asked to be able to help the sick. Maybe this was the opportunity he'd been waiting for. 
He agreed to be Lane's partner, but he made one odd request. Edgar didn't want to be paid. His healing powers were still new, and it felt wrong to profit off something that could potentially hurt or mislead people. Lane understood and gladly took the profits off Edgar's hands. He rented an office, and for months, Edgar provided what he called readings to people who needed them. Edgar never knew what he said while he was under a trance, but his diagnoses seemed to work. In fact, they were so accurate, some patients were convinced Edgar was a certified doctor. Usually, the cases weren't extreme, just stomach bugs and headaches. He never dealt with a serious medical issue. That is, until a man named C.H. Dietrich gave him a call. Dietrich explained when his daughter Amy was two years old, she came down with the flu. The sickness lasted for three years, severely affecting her growth. Now she was missing school and falling far behind the other students. On top of that, she experienced at least 20 convulsions every day. They'd gone to every doctor in Hopkinsville, but no one could help. Dietrich worried if he didn't do something fast, his little girl would never lead a fulfilling life. Edgar was their last hope. Edgar hurried to the Dietrich's home, greeted the parents, and immediately put himself to sleep on their couch. While under, he told them, days before Amy came down with the flu, she fell and hurt her spine while climbing out of a carriage. The germs from her illness had infected the wound in her spine and caused the convulsions. If Lane made some small chiropractic adjustments to her vertebrae, the girl would be cured. Over the course of the next three weeks, Lane massaged Amy's spine, but the treatment was difficult. Lane was familiar with basic medicine, but fixing the vertebrae was another matter entirely. If he adjusted the backbone too much, it would cause irreparable damage. Days passed without progress. Edgar started to worry his abilities hadn't helped the girl at all. Three weeks later, Edgar conducted another reading. Amy's parents sat at the edge of their seats as he descended into a trance-like state. Finally, once he was under, Lane likely asked about the state of Amy's spine. After a moment, Edgar spoke. He said Amy was developing normally and no further treatment was necessary. She would be okay. The Dietrichs cried and hugged each other. And sure enough, after Edgar's pronouncement, Amy got better. Within three months, she even caught up on the school she'd missed. Edgar had done it. Despite not having any medical training, he'd somehow diagnosed a complicated ailment the doctors hadn't been able to fix. However, he refused to take all the credit. Rather, he said his abilities were a gift from God and the angel who'd given him his powers. But even divine miracles can come at a cost. Between his readings and his other day jobs, Edgar was completely run down. The gift was starting to feel like a curse, and Edgar found himself longing for the easy life of his youth, fishing and reading his Bible. So he told Lane not to publicize the recovery. If people got word of it, Edgar would be inundated with even more clients, and he just wanted peace. 
For three years, he mostly got his wish. He married Gertrude, moved to a small town, and accepted a quiet job at a bookstore. But despite his best efforts to keep a low profile, word of the fortune-telling healer spread throughout the country. In 1906, an intellectual organization in Bowling Green called the EQB Literary Club invited him to one of their meetings. Each month, they picked a topic for discussion, and this time, the subject was hypnotism. Edgar didn't see anything wrong with the demonstration, so he accepted the invite. That night, when Edgar entered the dining room, he was greeted by a throng of local physicians. The clinicians were desperate to witness his so-called psychic abilities and analyze if they were real. In the past, Edgar had frequently prescribed remedies to patients, only for their doctors to refuse to follow the advice of a hypnotist. Here was Edgar's chance to prove himself, a showdown between modern science and the supernatural. After dinner, he lay down on a couch and went to sleep. One of the doctors gave him the name of a sick college student and his location. Edgar had no idea who the pupil was, but he correctly diagnosed him and even listed his exact pulse and temperature. While Edgar lay asleep on the sofa, the doctors argued about whether he was really unconscious. Maybe he was tricking them somehow, faking his trance while secretly receiving information. To determine if Edgar was pulling any tricks, they needed to inflict pain. One of the doctors thrust a long needle into Edgar's arms, feet, and hands. Then another stabbed his cheek with a hat pin. Edgar didn't respond at all. Still, they weren't convinced. So, a third doctor retrieved a penknife from his pocket. He slid the blade under one of Edgar's fingernails. Then, he pried up the nail and watched for Edgar's reaction. The healer didn't flinch. He remained completely asleep. That is, until a few minutes later, when he woke up from his trance. And it was clear to the doctors watching, Edgar felt all the pain, all at once. Edgar grimaced and gripped his wounded finger. The doctors tried to apologize, but Edgar felt violated. He screamed that they would never be convinced of his abilities. With that, Edgar leaped up, grabbed his coat, and marched out of the club. After the debacle, Edgar vowed to only give readings to help people, not to prove he was telling the truth. For the next few years, Edgar gave private readings to those truly in need. He kept a relatively low profile and likely didn't advertise or seek new clients. But after the literary club demonstration, Edgar couldn't keep his gift a secret. News of his practice attracted clients from around the Midwest. And in 1910, his ability earned even more publicity when the New York Times published an article about Edgar's unusual talents. In it, a physician named Dr. Wesley H. Ketchum described the healer's feats and criticized the medical establishment for not endorsing Edgar. He even compared Edgar to Jesus Christ. The write-up gave Edgar a bigger platform than ever before. He realized he could now reach even more patients. 
So a seed was planted in Edgar's mind. Perhaps it was time to start a new company. For years, Edgar had resisted letting his gift take over his life. But now it seemed irresponsible to avoid it any longer. This was who he was. And once he embraced his destiny, Edgar unlocked even more knowledge, this time of a mythical extinct civilization. Coming up, Edgar discovers the lost city of Atlantis. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Now, back to the story. Edgar Casey seemingly had a supernatural ability to diagnose illnesses while in a trance. While he resisted becoming a public figure, a New York Times article threw him into the spotlight. He then decided to give it his all and fully commit to his calling. Edgar teamed up with a doctor to open a business in his hometown of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. He ordered new furniture for his office and even had stationery printed with the words Edgar Casey Jr., Psychic Diagnostician. For two years, he worked harder than ever before. He hired a stenographer to record every word he said and studied the transcripts to learn more about medicine and to hone his craft. But in 1912, he discovered his new business partner was only setting appointments with wealthy people. He was livid. It went against everything Edgar believed in. He thought all patients deserved to be healthy, not just the rich. Edgar left the company and spent a few more years giving private, personal readings. But then, in 1919, it hit him. He finally realized how to get care to the people who needed it. Often, the people he treated wouldn't heed his advice. Either they didn't trust his expertise, or their doctors refused to administer the medicine. So, one night, 42-year-old Edgar gathered his family to share his idea. He told them of a hospital full of doctors who'd give treatment based entirely on his readings. All of Edgar's diets, medicines, and osteopathic remedies would be followed to a T. His father, his wife Gertrude, and his children were with him all the way. There was just one issue. Money. Edgar had a plan for that as well. He'd travel to Texas and get rich in the oil business. After all, Edgar was a psychic. Surely he could divine where the oil was beneath the earth. For the next few months, Edgar set up oil wells in Common, Texas, and drilled. But finding oil proved more difficult than diagnosing a patient. In three years, he was out of money and out of time. Perhaps Edgar's powers of divinations had their limits, and it seemed his dreams of a hospital were finished. He returned to his family, defeated and demoralized. Over the next few years, he conducted readings for the wealthy, 
hoping they'd provide the funds for his hospital. But when a printer named Arthur Lammers came to seek Edgar's advice, he didn't need help diagnosing an illness. Instead, Lammers came to Edgar to discuss a matter beyond the physical body, reincarnation. Lammers asked Edgar where the soul came from. Edgar merely shrugged and told him to read the Bible. But when Edgar went into the trance, Lammers took the opportunity to ask the question again. This time, the psychic spoke of past civilizations in ancient India, Persia, and Egypt. And he mentioned a legendary city long thought to be a myth, Atlantis. Later, Edgar read over the transcript of what he'd said. He couldn't believe the words that had come out of his mouth. His inexplicable medical knowledge had astounded him. But reincarnation and a lost mythical city were another matter entirely. After his interaction with Lammers, Edgar began exploring his clients' past lives during readings. He told them where they'd been and even advised them how best to live their current lives. He also made some pretty wild discoveries. He found 10,000 years ago, many of his patients lived in a society on the Caribbean islands. One day, the sea swallowed up the isles and took the cities down with them. Apparently, this was the lost civilization of Atlantis. Now, Edgar fully believed in past lives, and he claimed the Bible supported his new philosophy. He pointed to numerous passages in which the scriptures alluded to rebirth. Maybe that actually meant reincarnation. Inspired by his stories of past existences and legendary cities, clients now came to Edgar for everything. Illnesses, reincarnation readings, even self-help advice. But his critics balked, alleging he was nothing more than a high-end fortune teller. Journalists and doctors had always been skeptical of Edgar's abilities, but his New Age turn made him seem like even more of a fraud. Despite the growing suspicion, Edgar was popular with his rich clientele, and in 1924, a near miracle happened. Morton Harry Blumenthal, a 29-year-old stockbroker from New York City, came to Edgar complaining about a runny ear. 47-year-old Edgar performed several readings for the broker and fixed his ailment. Blumenthal was amazed by the results and became obsessed with Edgar. He kept returning to the spiritualist with theological and philosophical questions, treating him like a spiritual leader. In exchange for all the guidance, the broker offered something in return. Blumenthal would help Edgar build the hospital. Edgar was hesitant to trust anyone after so many other deals had fallen through, but Blumenthal reassured him. So the psychic conducted a reading to determine where to put the facility and decided on Virginia Beach, Virginia. Construction began, and Edgar and Gertrude rented a house near the building site. Sometimes, Edgar would even pick up a hammer and work with the other men. By November 1928, the Casey Hospital was finished. It resembled a mansion more than it did a cold medical facility, but this was all part of the vision. Edgar intended it to serve as a home for his many patients. 
It was four stories tall and contained 30 beds. It held a library, a lecture hall, a cozy living room, and several offices for researchers. When a patient stepped out onto the front porch to take in a breath of fresh air, they were greeted by a view of the ocean and a large green lawn. Edgar's years of hard work finally paid off. He made a place people could go when they needed help. And maybe it felt like he was truly doing what God and the angel had intended him to do, cure the sick. But in the first 10 months, the hospital only treated 60 patients. Many were success stories, but the facility couldn't stay afloat on those numbers. To make matters worse, on October 28, 1929, the stock market crashed. Now struggling financially, Blumenthal slowly pulled funding from the hospital. On February 26, 1931, Blumenthal called a meeting of the association's board of trustees in New York City. There, Edgar watched from the corner as his partner asked for a vote on whether to close the facility. Edgar refused to vote. He would go with whatever the board chose. He remained silent as one by one they went around the table. A few men decided whether his life's work was worth the investment. In a unanimous decision, they elected to close Casey's Hospital after just two years. After Edgar collected his belongings from the hospital, he descended its steps for what he assumed would be the last time. He walked through the rain and climbed into the car beside his wife, Gertrude. At first, he said nothing. He couldn't even look at her. She rested her hand on his shoulder. Then, tears glistened in Edgar's eyes. He told her he'd failed. She said they'd get the money and reopen the association, but he didn't believe her. As the rain pelted the car window, he never felt so low in his entire life. But this wasn't the end. Over the next few months, hundreds of letters filled Edgar's mailbox. Each urged him to continue his work. So on June 6, 1931, he held a meeting with 61 people he considered part of his inner circle. They weren't wealthy donors, just former patients and close friends who wanted Edgar to keep conducting readings. Together, the group formed a new organization called the Association for Research and Enlightenment, or ARE. In October, Edgar traveled with his wife to New York to see if they could secure any funding for ARE. For nearly a month, Edgar stayed at a hotel in the city, giving regular readings to association members. But no matter who he talked to, it seemed money for his hospital was nowhere to be found. On the morning of November 7, 1931, Edgar and his family packed up to return to Virginia Beach. Just then, the telephone rang. It was two women who claimed they desperately needed a reading. One of them was extremely ill. Edgar couldn't deny help to anyone. He set down his luggage and told Gertrude he was going to meet the women. Soon, Edgar put himself to sleep in front of the two guests and conducted their reading. When he awoke, he felt metal digging into his wrists. 
He tried to pull his hands apart, but they were bound together. He looked down. He was handcuffed. These were no ordinary patients. These were undercover police, and they suspected Edgar of fraud. A short while later, the women led Edgar up the jailhouse steps. The press mobbed him. He covered his eyes as camera bulbs flashed inches from his face. He couldn't have imagined anything further from a normal life. He'd only wanted to help people. Now, he'd have to fight for his freedom. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of Edgar Casey. For more information on Edgar Casey, amongst the many sources we used, we found There Is a River by Thomas Segrew extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Bernard, edited by Ben Caro and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Richard Rossner.